Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome everyone this is, this is really exciting to be hosting our first webinar of this series, The Yellow Cake Country. But firstly, I'd like to acknowledge that from where I'm hosting, I'm on the grounds of the Wadjuk Noongar people and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging and that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. I'm facilitating today as the Nuclear Free Campaigner from the Conservation Council of Western Australia. Hello and welcome. I'm K.A. You were just listening to the introduction from the Yellow Cake Country webinar recorded last week, and today I will share some of the presentations from this webinar. The Yellow Cake Country is a five-part series that will explore the local, national and international impacts of Australia's uranium industry. In this first webinar, we explore where does Australian uranium go, and we hear from activists from Taiwan, India and Japan. On the roadshow today, you'll hear from Shiting from Taiwan and Tomohiro Matsuyoka from Japan, who will share their powerful stories of the impacts of the nuclear industry in their country that's been directly fuelled by Australian uranium. So our first speaker tonight, Shiting Chen, is the Nuclear Free and Climate Justice Campaigner for the Green Citizens Action Alliance in Taiwan. Hello everyone, I'm Shiting and... Um I will be giving you a brief introduction on the challenges we're facing and the progress we've made so far. So there are two operating nuclear power plants in Taiwan at the moment. The number one is located along the northern coast of Taiwan. And the third one here is located in Kanding National Park along the coast of southernmost Taiwan. And the fourth, the fourth uh, plants has been suspended and the first one has reached its schedule decommissioning date, but questions remain on what to do with the nuclear waste from the plant. So now nuclear power uh, accounts for about 12 of Taiwan's electricity generation. Two nuclear power plants are only about 25K away from the um, uh, capital city Taipei and they are four point of 5.4 million people within the 30K evacuation zone um, in comparison with the number in Fukushima was 200,000 evacuees. So it would be extremely difficult to evacuate if there's emergency. The, the problematic uh, MPP4, um, the, the construction began in 1999 with the intention to complete in 2004 but ended up lasting for 15 years and was suspended in 2014. The cost uh, is, cal is calculated from, is, um, from 5.6 million US dollar to 9 billion US dollar due to um, misma mismanagement and engineering problem. And there were var uh, various uh, accidents include blackouts, fire and flooding happen during the construction. And there are some similarities between Taiwan and, and Japan that we both located on the Pacific Rim seismic belt, which means we frequently experience um, earthquakes. And all nuclear power plants in Taiwan are built near the coastline 
uh, distance from one, one to 3.3 km, which means that it will um, quickly reach by tsunami. Okay, and there's the waste issue here. Um, most of the low level waste in, is, is storage in Lanyu, Orkey Island. Uh, it's an island with about 5,000 residents, mostly indigenous. And during the re repacking and resealing process, it was found that 97% of the buckets were rusted or broken completely. You can see that the picture it's not a very suitable site for for the waste storage with the you know the wind the salt and the in the humidity and the main issue uh, are that locals were never informed about about the storage plan in the beginning and they have never agreed to it uh, until now and the waste has been storage in Lanyu since 1982 but the government only started to carry out the uh, health check for the locals in 2016. And in um, 2012, two Japanese academics have found unusual level of radiation that's um, much more than the, uh, uh, than the, ba the background value. So with the level at one location as high as 500 times more than, more than, more than the environmental um, value. Okay, and then there's the um, the large uh, accumulation of spent spent nuclear fuel in in the recu, re, re, um, in the re, reactor pools poses a significant hazard, and this is because that the pools are holding two times more fuels than the original designs intended. And the thermal water um, discharges from the third nuclear power plant leaches or kills some corals near the outlets since the temperature there is usually um, two to three degrees higher than average. And between 1993 to 1996, thousands of male form fishes were found near the um, MPP2 uh, the fishes had twisted bodies and there is scientific evidence that the mutation had been caused by the high temperature of the effluent, which were generally up to 10 to 12 degrees higher than the water near the inlets of MPP2. So before Fukushima nuclear disaster, these issues were really polarized between the two main um, political party, but in the aftermath of what happened in Japan, uh, intensive media coverage and several national and local rallies result in uh, greater public awareness among Taiwanese citizens across ideological and political spectrum. So um, in response to Fukushima nuclear disaster, um, demonstrations were organized by many different kind of local NGOs in major uh, six major cities, including uh, Taidong, which is the potential nuclear waste site, also uh, is the mostly with the indigenous uh, community. Okay, so the um, achievement of these uh, civil actions after Fukushima catastrophe um, was that the government, uh, with the pro-nuclear party at the time, announced a new uh, a new policy with the nuclear phase-out plan. Uh, in the end of 2011, 
uh, that said the new no new uh, sorry no live extension for all six operating reactors and the MPB4 will only be operating when the safety is guaranteed. Okay, and the next year we reached the highest number of the, with 220,000 rally participants. And in the meantime, there were so many uh, creative campaigns from musician, film directors, uh, illustrator, uh, academics and writers who expressed their ideas about this issue through their work and they brought this conversation into their class or their workplace on the stage to raise more awareness. And uh, a, a cafe owner started the no, new, uh, no More Fukushima's Flag campaign with hundreds of these flags hanging over Taiwan. So you, uh, the achievement from these actions was um, the mayor of New Taipei City uh, publicly expressed his concern about MPB4 safety and the incompetent of AAEC and the Thai Power Company. And there were more and more political stakeholders publicly showed their concern about MPP4. And there were more and more intensive media coverage on scandal and the cover, uh, corruption within MPP4. And these all leads to that the nuclear issue got much less politically divisive. So there's, um, during this action in 2014, there were 50,000 people occupied the business role in front of the Taipei main station for all night sitting to demand the immediate suspension of um, MPB4. Water cannon at the time were used to evict nonviolent protesters lasting for over five hours from midnight till morning. And after that, the government decided to hold the construction of MPB4. So in 2016, the government passed the policy of phasing out nuclear power by 2020, uh, 2025 um, into law. So all reactors are to be decommissioned when their 40-year operating license expire. And um, this energy transition policy um, targets to eliminate uh, nuclear power and reduce carbon emission at the same time. So the strategies toward this are um, maximizing energy efficiency um, and developing new, new uh, renewable energy, mostly solar and wind, and accelerating energy storage deployment and so on. And in this transition period, natural gas will be increased uh, to speed up the phase out of coal power. Our future, uh, well, actually our ongoing challenges are that we will have to prevent um, MPB4's construction from re uh, resuming and oversight over the 25 years um, decommissioning, uh, decommissioning work and demanding a better management and communication on waste issue because um, so far that uh, in a recent poll that 70% uh, of the Taiwan citizens oppose a nuclear waste in, uh, in their county. So there's this really, really strong, not in my backyard uh, mindset in, in this issue. And What's worse is that there's no legislation yet for high-level waste for the um, final disposal plan. Okay, and another thing is that we will have to demand a much more progressive policy on decarbonization. 
and last thing is to promote uh, renewable space on civil participation in the process of, of decision making. How much uranium does Taiwan get from Australia? Yeah, as far as I know, Australia is the only, is the only um, source that we get the uranium. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You've just been listening to recordings taken from the Yellow Cake Country webinar, Where Does Australian Uranium Go? Shi Ting spoke on the impacts of Australian uranium in Taiwan. Taiwan imports all of its uranium from Australia. We will return to the webinar recordings and hear from Tomohiro Matsuyoka, who will share updates from Japan's nuclear industry and stories from his recent visit to Fukushima. First of all, I would like to um, briefly cover the current status of Japanese nuclear industry, nuclear power station in general, because the it's after all, it's more than nine years has passed since uh, Fukushima nuclear disaster, uh, which is March 11, 2011. Just to briefly to cover uh, the current Japanese nuclear power plant today, when the earthquake hit and the tsunami hit the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, the officially there are 54 uh, reactors operating across Japan. Now, after nine, more than nine years, right now, the 33 reactors are supposed to be sort of active, not necessarily operating right now, but the current, current reactor, which means that actually that the power company decided to retire 21 reactors. And this includes Fukushima Daiichi's six reactors and the neighboring Fukushima Daini's four reactors. And the reason is that uh, there are a number of reasons, but simply the many power companies decided that uh, to meet the the upgraded safety standard, it's too costly and uh, some reactors are too old. So they decided that they're going to um, shut down the 21 reactors. And right now, as I speak, in Japan, five reactors are operating right now. You can say five operating or only five. Um, until recently, there are nine reactors operating. That was a peak in the past nine years. And uh, the two are uh, shut down for the regular maintenance. And the additional two reactors are recently shut down. The latest one was actually shut down in May because these reactors couldn't meet the upgraded safety standard. What happened is that uh, you apply for the approval to operate, but on the condition that you have to meet the safety standard within five years. And these two reactors, two reactors couldn't meet the safety standard. So they had to shut down. And as I said, uh, there are five reactors operating right now, but at least there are three reactors. They, uh, the power company said that they are unlikely to meet this five-year deadline. So which means that at least by this summer, two reactors are going to shut down. So number is actually going down. And of these 33 reactors, as I said, only five are operating right now. And the nine reactors are actually applying for the, uh, the approval to the start again and they're still under assessment. But there are eight uh, reactors which a power company couldn't even submit uh, the paper to get approval. So the number of reactors or active reactors are uh, steadily declining, which is a good news. And uh, there are other issues, but uh, it's not the, the main topic, so just, I'm not gonna cover, but there are other issues is that there's still a new plan to construct a new nuclear power plant or there are three reactors almost uh, 
close to uh, uh, finished construction. And also there's an issue of uh, spent fuel reprocessing plant but uh, they, I'm not going to talk about this uh, tonight, but uh, keep in mind there are other issues in Japan. Now, I'm going to move on to um, Olympic, which has, seem, doesn't seem to have anything to do with the nuclear power, but it does um, because the 2020 now postponed to next year, 2021, somehow they still call, uh, call 2020, 2020 Olympic was supposed to showcase the recovery uh, of uh, Japan from a uh, uh, disaster, but the disaster cover uh, included not just a nuclear, but the earthquake. And uh, back in 2013, uh, the, he's still prime minister of Japan, but uh, he, uh, Abe, made a speech at the IOC uh, uh, committee. And uh, what he said was that uh, the Fukushima, the situation is in Fukushima is uh, under control. That's what he said. And even back then, it was a sheer lie. It wasn't uh, far from under control. And this is today. Right now, there's over 1.2 million tons of radioactive wastewater. And uh, it's increasing uh, every day. Because what happened is that uh, at the Fukushima Daiichi, uh, the melt through uh, power, uh, reactors, there's a groundwater uh, coming up every day. And also, they have to keep cooling down the melted-down uh, reactors. So as a result, the wastewater keep increasing. And even that the, the power company admits that under the current pace, they, will, they don't have enough space to store uh, wastewater. So what's um, discussion right now is that uh, let's dump into the sea. It's too much. But what's outrageous is that uh, they call it the treated water, but it is treated, but still has a lot of uh, radioactive substances in it and tritium uh, and uh, all different kinds. But what they say is that they're going to dilute and dump into the sea over the next 30 years. Now, this is a very, very stupid argument because um, let me use an example. For example, you're in a swimming pool. I'm going to urinate in a swimming pool, but I'll do slowly. So it should be okay. It's as ridiculous as, uh, as that to say. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, um, IAEA seems to be uh, accepting this argument. And uh, unless we act against this strongly, there's a high chance that, that this is going to go ahead. Of course, there's a concern from local fishermen and uh, um, uh, the agriculture industry, but still, um, this is a current plan. Now that, uh, back to, now that uh, I'm going to more focus on Fukushima uh, right now, so situation uh, is far from under control. And I want to show this number, 48,000. This is a number of evacuees as of uh, March this year, nine years after earthquake and the beginning of a nuclear disaster. But this is uh, all evacuees still nine years after. And all across Japan, mainly northeastern Japan. Of these, 41,000, these people from Fukushima, which means that the virtually almost nearly all people evacuees still in evacuation are from Fukushima. Remember that the, this um, the earthquake is uh, also um, not just about the nuclear disaster, but also there's a tsunami and the people were displaced. But in other prefectures, their uh, recovery effort and the people gradually uh, going back to their hometown, 
but in Fukushima Prefecture, still 41,000, which means that the, these people are mostly the victim of nuclear disasters. They just simply cannot go back to their hometown. Unlike the area hit by tsunami, there is a work on reconstruction. And uh, what's happening to people in Fukushima is that, uh, okay, it's nine years, uh, nine years has passed. And as I said, Abe said that they want to showcase the Olympic as a, the evidence that Japan has recovered. So we're done. So what they started doing is started cutting the support for uh, evacuees, especially the people who voluntarily evacuated at early stage. And it started happening as early as March 2017. What happened was that the, those initially that the government or prefectural government, local government provided the rent relief or rent support for those people who evacuated and they rented a house outside their hometown. Some people moved to Tokyo, but they said that, uh, okay, it's enough. You can go back, build your own life. And they started cutting the rent support but many people have already established their life elsewhere and uh, they still rely on these uh, subsidies, but they simply cut the, not only cut the support, but they started the court action to evict them. And uh, recently there are cases that finally they settled and uh, basically evacuees had to leave all the houses. This is what's happening. Lots of uh, support have been cut. Now continue the Olymp then the relationship with Olympic and Fukushima. There's a strong uh, relationship because I said Abe used the Fukushima to uh, promote Olympic to, to, for Japan to win hosting uh, Olympic. And what happened was that uh, the earlier this year, there's a train line running uh, eastern coast of Japan, the Joban Line, but. There's a and they gradually started reopening, even though the many areas still people couldn't go back because of still uh, high radiation. But they just gradually started opening this train line, Joban line. But there's a last stretch, 20 kilometer section of the line because it's too close to nuclear power plant. But eventually they opened this year, March 14th. The timing is quite important because this is the area no one can live. No one's living, but they opened the station. Only train enthusiasts just went and get off the station, but no one used on a daily basis. The reason is that the, the Olympic torch relay was supposed to start on March 26th from Fukushima. It's a very highly, highly politicized event. So they're gonna start the torch relay for, from Fukushima to show the, the world that the, oh, Fukushima is okay now. And the starting point was supposed to be uh, the place called the J Village which was originally, even before the nuclear disaster, uh, there's a, it was a, a popular sports venue and which was actually funded by TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company. And this J Village, during um, the, the right after a disaster, was used as a kind of logistic space for the work to, for the, to manage the nuclear disaster in the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. And, uh, but as I said, this was originally the very popular uh, sports stadium, uh, a training area for uh, used by professional uh, Japanese soccer league. So they just, Japanese government said, okay, let's start the Olympic Tochi Relay from here. And uh, they even uh, opened a new station to access this J village. But of course, you know, what happened was that the, just two days before Tochi Relay start, 
finally, Japan, Japanese government considered that we can hold uh, Olympic as a schedule, so they postponed. And then uh, Abe said, you know, Abe originally said that the, we're going to have a Tokyo Olympic to show the world that, you know, Japan has recovered. Now he's changed the, changed the, the reasoning. He said that, uh, you know, next year we're going to overcome coronavirus and it's a humanity's victory over coronavirus. Now they don't even mention, they don't even talk about Fukushima. Now that uh, more into Fukushima, the dairy farmer from Fukushima, Hasegawa-san, who lives northwest of uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant, it's not uh, geographically too close, not the closest, over 30 kilometers away. But unfortunately, when the, the accident happened, wind was blowing north, uh, towards northwest. So his village was directly hit. They have to evacuate and they lost their business. Another thing Hasegawa-san told me was that uh, because they have to evacuate and they lost their source of income, Hasegawa-san lost their business. So they ne- tried to negotiate uh, TEPCO for compensation, but TEPCO is a big company. And what they have been doing is that they reject every single uh, effort for uh, what they call ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. They have been refusing all the ADRs. Only small number of people managed to dare to launch court case against TEPCO, but so far the compensation is very, very small, like a less than tenth of what they asked for. I went to Hasegawa-san's place in January 2019. In the background, there's a green sheet, and there's under the green sheet is, of, of course, that uh, scraped radioactive soil. And also, over the past um, five years I visited, his house also changed. Actually, towards the left, there used to be the feedlot for dairy uh, business and all the facilities, but they have to demolish. It's all gone. When I first visited in 2014, there, was, there were already uh, radioactive soil everywhere. But the difference is that, that they now put the cover on it, blue uh, green sheet on it. Back then, there's nothing. They just... Uh, the black plastic bag, pile of plastic bag, after nine years, still everywhere. So the the farming uh, area, farming land is very limited, but that's exactly where radioactive soil is piled up. So that the most prime land for farming is occupied by radioactive soil. So even farm, even you know, the farmers go back to their hometown, but they can't farm their land. Southeast part closer to Fukushima Daiichi plant is still exclusion zone. The waste incineration plant, it's a temporary. But what happened was that there are so many gravels and all the, the junks. And uh, what they're simply doing is that they are burning. And they, it's a temporary incineration plant. They spent uh, in Australian dollar, uh, how much is it? It's about $400 million they spent to create this temporary incineration plant. And because that um, the, there's so many uh, houses demolished because no one lives anymore and all these um, waste they have to burn. And of course, they are low level radioactive waste or a certain level of radiation and they simply burn on the backside of the town. So they burn the low level radioactive waste or all these gravels, they burn. And then they reduce the volume and the ashes are still stored in. And they claim this is a temporary storage. All the money 
as I said, they spend $400 million to create this temporary incineration plant. Money all goes to Tokyo. No one benefit in the village benefit from this. After nine years, they're still there and there's no plan to find the, the real temporary storage. So what's happening is that this is becoming a semi-permanent. The radioactive contamination, they can't farm the land anymore. It is a very sad scene to see this. In our recent years, um, like in India, India suffered a serious cyclone, I heard. In Japan, in recent years, there are more and more typhoon and intensity is also uh, getting severe. And Itate suffered uh, typhoon and a torrential rain. Hasegawa-san suffered nuclear accident, but also he's suffering from the effect of climate change, I think. And uh, this bring back the word I heard from Hasegawa-san. The one thing, the most unbearable things is not just because of what happened to them, but being forgotten, being forgotten by people in Japan. People were, you know, excited about the Olympic, but behind the Olympic fever, they felt that they are simply utilized. And then now they don't even talk about Fukushima, about Olympic. Thanks so much, Shiting and Tomohiro Matsuoka, for allowing me to use these recordings from the recent Yellow Cake Country webinar. Unfortunately, I didn't have time for Indian social activist Dr. Vishali Patil's presentations for this show. However, co-producer Mara has recently produced a show on her excellent work to stop the Jayapur nuclear power plant in India. The presentations in the webinar are a stark reminder of our responsibility and the importance of stopping the uranium trade here in Australia. And these powerful stories connect us to the global struggles and inspire us to continue to work towards a nuclear-free future. This radioactive show was produced with the support of the Friends of the Earth nuclear-free campaign on the stolen lands of the Ghana people for 3CR. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for more news, views on nuclear peace and energy issues.